please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Goltz for the Grave Tales, the series podcast. Today, from the Grave Tales, Great Ocean Road, Geelong to Port Ferry book, The Short Life of Jack Denham. He was 17 years old when he took to the sea life. Jack Denham wanted a sailor's life, adventure, mateship, and the mysteries of far-off places, but it came at a cost. The first ship Jack worked on sank, but he lived to tell. The second ship, Jack was not so lucky. This is the story of Jack and the crew of the La Bella that now rests under the ocean for divers to explore on the Great Ocean Road. Okay, so I want you to picture this. Mm -hmm. How you felt when you got your first bike and you had this instrument that you suddenly thought, oh my God. I could go anywhere. Freedom. I, I can go anywhere. I mean, you're only a kid, but suddenly you realise you could go around the world on this, you know, really. On this Melbourne star. On this Melbourne star with a little ticky, ticky, tick, tick, yeah. tick things on the tyre. And then I want you to picture how you felt when you first moved out of home and moved into your first place. That sense of, oh my gosh, I'm grown up, I'm free, I've got to get my own groceries, I've got to pay bills, <laughs> you know, I've got my own place. That's Jack. Yep. Okay, so that's what our young sailor Jack must have felt like. There's not a lot known about Jack. He was somewhere between 15 to 17 years old. Wow, so quite young. Yeah, Jack Denham or Denholm. There's a whole stack of different versions. There's John Denholm, which got abbreviated to Jack, of course. Yep. So our young sailor wanted to start his life at sea. His parents lived in Melbourne. There's very few records on him. I don't know whether he was born in Australia. I don't know whether his parents survived him or if he had siblings. So there's not a lot to go on with poor Jack, but Jack wanted to go to sea and we know that much. And he did. And he did. On the very first ship he worked on, he worked as a ship boy. Now that's a boy who runs errands for the captain yep. and then he attends to the needs of the passengers and the officers after the captain's done with him. He's also known as a cabin boy. Yeah. His very first trip was in 1905 and he and another young sailor who was 18-year-old called Larry Watson... Mm-hmm. who you'll see as Harry Watson in some media clips too, right. went to work on a bark called Emerald. It was a ship moving coal mm-hmm. back to New Zealand. Jack and Larry were on that ship and heavy winds drove it into shore. It was wrecked. On that occasion, all hands got to shore safely and everyone survived. So that was in New Zealand where it was washed ashore together? Yes. Okay. Next ship, Jack and Larry weren't quite as lucky. So they were both on the next ship together, which was called the La Bella. Right. The beautiful La Bella. And it was delivering a load of timber. Right. And at the end of that journey, Jack intended to return home to Melbourne mm-hmm. and Larry intended to head back to New Zealand. Okay. So it was a 12-year-old cargo ship. It had a German captain. It was a fairly international crew. The captain was Gio Milius. He'd been living in New Zealand where he'd met his wife and they came from all different ports. So there was 12 men, including young Jack, on board and they set sail in 1905 for Warrnambool with this load of timber. Right. So from New Zealand to Warrnambool... Timber on board, here we come. That's it. November 1905, and how exciting for Jack. So, second adventure at sea. The journey didn't go as planned, so the vessel was late several days overdue, and they got rough passage, which was delaying their journey, which is, I imagine, quite normal for seafaring vehicles. They took a run for shelter at Burnie on the northwest coast of Tassie, and leaving there, they headed for Warrnambool, and they arrived on a very misty evening at the end of 37 days at sea. 37 days, that's a long time. Yeah. Not a long way. Mm. So they've arrived there. Now, this is when tragedy strikes, and it must have been quite terrifying. 
Friday 10th of November around 10pm, the lightkeeper at Warnable spotted a bright light off the reef. It was a labella and she was struggling in huge seas. Now, if you've been down that way, down to Warnable, you can stand on the big concrete jetty there yeah. and, and look out and it can be rough and it's uneven and broken and shallow in spots and deep in others and it's, you know, it's tough. And blowing a gale. It's so yeah. cold that your fingers yeah. don't work. And cold all year round. It was November, wasn't it? Yeah. The huge waves were breaking over her and they knew she was in trouble. And they knew it was only a matter of time until she went to pieces. Okay. Unfortunately, it couldn't have been worse timing because the local lifeboat rescue crew members were away doing an exhibition. And a whale boat instead was dispatched to rescue them. Okay. I think one of the most terrifying things about this, not only for the sailors, but there were people on shore who could watch the whole plight of it. And the sailors went up and they tied themselves to the rigging because you've got to remember a lot of seamen of that era couldn't yeah, swim. Couldn't swim. Yeah, we're talking 1905 here. In the book, there's the most remarkable photograph of this ship in its the throes of its destruction mm. on the reef, taken presumably from the end of the jetty, and it's close. Mm. I mean, it's that close that you'd think they'd be able to rescue them easily, but not yeah, the case. No, and if you look at that photo, what's truly amazing is you can see them tied to the rigging, yeah. which is just horrific. So they've tied themselves to the rigging because the waves are hitting the ship with such force that sometimes it would disappear below the waves and then come back up and there'd be sailors missing. So the boat that was sent out wasn't the regular lifeboat. It was a... Yeah, a, a, a whale boat. A, a substitute, a whale boat yeah. rowed by volunteers, presumably. Exactly, yeah. By the time it got to them, the foremast and mainmast crashed into the ocean and got carried away so they couldn't even get close enough with the waves to get the guys off. Then Boy. the local police constable, Constable Trainer, had to go and get volunteers He's gone and knocked on the door of one young fellow, 25-year-old, William Ferrier. And William becomes a hero of the story. There's Ferriers in the area today, which we'll tell you about later. But William said at the time... Constable Trainer came to my place at half past ten o'clock on Friday night and told me of the wreck. I was in bed asleep with a bad hand. I got up and went back with Constable Trainer. When we reached the breakwater, the whale boat had left the wreck. I thereupon got my dinghy and two men, James Patton and John Mitchell, got in with me. We rowed out in the darkness towards La Bella, as far as what I call the deep hole. The amazing thing is that William had a sore arm at the time. He had an arm that he wasn't able to really put any weight or use on. So he's out there rowing in this horrific sea. Well, he's sculling if he's only yeah. got one arm because yeah. he has to, you know, just one all backwards and forwards behind him. And this little dinghy to try and get these men. I wouldn't put foot in the ocean most days, let alone yeah. in that kind of weather. It was so heroic. He got quite close. As he approached La Bella, a crowd was gathering on the shores now and up a higher parts and watching it all unfold, unable to help. And they cheered as he came into the rescue and got close to them. So he was about 180 metres or 200 yards out from the ship trying to get them. He just couldn't get any closer to them. Because they were trying to fire rocket lines over the wreck too, weren't they? Yeah. With ropes attached so that they could try and get people off that way, but yeah. that didn't work? No, and that's worked in, in other ship rescues that we've got actually in this Great Ocean Road book, which is quite fascinating how they do it. Yeah. But no, they fired two of those off and they, they were just too far. They couldn't reach the ship. Okay, so what did he do? Well, he just kept trying. He basically kept trying. Now, the men, you've got to remember, were freezing. It's cold, it's windy. They're been drifting and clinging on and being sprayed by the ocean and the wind for so long while they've clung on to this ringing and now it's after midnight the crew kept trying and trying jack was on there and he was holding on for life as well 
They watched and waited as William and a couple of the other volunteers got close, but it was an all-night battle. And, I mean, they couldn't even jump in and swim to shore because most of them can't swim. It went on for hours and hours and hours. And by dawn, believe it or not, the men were still there, huddled on the upper deck, holding on to the foremast just to try and shelter from the breakers. La Bella was then belted against the rocks. And once that started, they more or less thought, well, this is only a matter of minutes now till it sinks. The lifeboats were still trying, but were literally just stood by helplessly. There was eight persons on board and they just couldn't get to them. And the crowd, I understand, stood there all night. All night, you know, you can imagine the drama unfolding. You wouldn't be able to leave. Terrible thing. And, of course, by now they'd lost four men to the sea. As I mentioned, you know, whenever the waves crashed, sometimes yeah. it'd come up and you'd see men had gone. Now, by 6.30 in the morning, the men on board were still there and witnesses reported seeing them frantically waving their arms and beckoning as though conscious that their craft was about to break up. The Sydney Morning Herald described it as such... Their continuous appeals for assistance made intelligible by their desperate gestures were agonising to behold and the tension amongst the groups of persons assembled on the breakwater was most intense. The labella swerved. One of the unfortunate men renewed his vigorous beckonings for help and as breaker after breaker pounded in, a seething cataract over the hull, it could be seen from the lessened sides of the group that two or three men had been swept into eternity. Dreadful stuff, isn't it? Especially when you can't do anything about it. Finally, William Ferrier, our 25-year-old hero, managed to, with his one oar and his arm injured, he propelled his dinghy close as he could and he managed to get two desperate crew members who jumped into the ocean and managed to swim towards him. He said later on that he realised that they probably wouldn't have the strength to make the lifeboat because they'd been clinging for 10 hours and he rowed as fast as he could towards them and he pulled them onto the dinghy and he said the cheers from the shore was just wonderful. So did he go back again? And again. And again. And again. One of the men he picked up was a captain. Now, interesting, later on it came out that the captain could swim and he could have got ashore, but he wouldn't leave the men, which I guess most captains wouldn't, which is very noble. So then there was a bit of a temporary lull and William dropped his survivors back and took advantage of that lull and the violence of the sea to get closer to the wreck and they picked up a swimmer. So that's another person saved. Now only two men remain visible and the lifeboat pilot ventured near them, waiting for the men to take the leap and try them save themselves. But you can imagine how frightened they'd be. Mm. If you can't swim, you know, if you can't get to those guys and you jump in the water, well... And you can't probably feel your hands or your feet. Exactly. And at this stage, our Jack, you know, the subject of our story, was said to have only survived because one of the sailors wrapped his arms around him, one of the older, mature sailors. from Tassie. Yeah, Noakes, wrapped his arms and legs around him and held him to the mast um, or he wouldn't have survived as long as he did. So at last one of the remaining two men leapt into the waves very brave he crossed the 73 meters or 80 yards to the lifeboat and made it on board so of the 12 crew only one sailor remained visible now and it wasn't our jack so william ferry and his dinghy tried again to come to the rescue got as close as he could and then again had to let go and then with a break in the size of the waves he dashed past the lifeboat to the stern of the bella saved the last remaining man and was lauded a hero <laughs> Of the 12 on board, there was five surviving men. They were the Captain Geo of New Zealand, second mate Leonard Robinson of Auckland, able seaman Oscar Rosenholm of New Zealand, able seaman John William Noke, who saved Jack for as long as he could. He was yeah. from Tassie, and Richard Payne of Sydney. Do we know when it was all over for Jack, when it was just too much? Yeah, about 7am, they say. So he held on for such a long time, which is what makes it more tragic. Jack and the first mate, Colson of Auckland, he was married man with four children. They were washed off by a heavy sea at around seven in the morning. It was just before the last man was rescued, which makes it even more tragic. It is said that their hands became so benumbed by the coal that they just couldn't hold on for any longer. And Colson had broken his leg earlier from falling timber, but still managed to hold on right up until the end before the rescue. The captain described 
describe them as half dead from pain and exposure. Terrible stories that come out of these wrecks. I know, I'm always disappointed that there's not monuments on land with all the names of the sailors who rest permanently out there. I'd love to see that at Warrnambool on that pier, a monument to the La Bella crew, because they rest there permanently now. Yeah, they reckon in that shipwreck coast that this area is part of, between Portland and Cape Otway, there's 80 wrecks, Mm. and most of them haven't been found. Wow, yeah, it does surprise me when you see the area. So Captain Milas later spoke about Jack's death and said, The boy Denham was too exhausted to move when the others charged to the starboard bow and soon afterwards he disappeared. With the exception of Watson and Denham, all the other lost were elderly men. Now, they really weren't elderly. They were in their 40s or 50s, but Mm. I suppose compared to a 17-year-old and seafaring lad, they are. Larry, who survived the wreck of the Emerald with Jack, he died as well. He didn't survive this one. So what happened from here on? Was there any action taken over this or was it just regarded as an accident? Action was taken. Captain Miles was remanded on a charge of manslaughter in connection with the wreck of the Labella and he made a statement attesting to being ill on the night of the shipwreck. He said he was suffering from illness, went off Warnerball and was sick just before the vessel struck. So he said it probably caused him to lose his bearings. Mm. He said he could have swum ashore, as I mentioned, but didn't wish to leave the ship and the others on the wreck. The inquiry found him at fault for losing his ship. He was found not guilty of manslaughter, but his licence was suspended for 12 months. But the wreck of the Labella, the loss of the lives, the damaging publicity and, I guess, the ruin of his career affected his health and he died six months later from a heart attack. He was 37. Wow, yeah. 37. Yeah. There was an inquiry into the efforts of the lifeboat crew and concluded that those who were on hand did everything satisfactory and the best that they possibly could at the time. Yep. And then, of course, the hero of the day, William Ferrier, was awarded a silver medal for bravery by the Royal Humane Society and honoured by the Prime Minister and the Governor. How about that? How about that? And he said in his 1905, very modest, I'm a bit surprised to suddenly find myself developed into a sort of a hero. You can see I did nothing out of the way. Anyone else in the same position would have done the same thing. No, I didn't think of any risk. All I felt was that there was a man on the wreck and that man had to be saved. Someone had to get the man off. And I don't think you need made all this fuss about it. Yeah, and it was kind of that fuss that drove him out of town eventually. Yeah, I find that very sad. He received so many invitations to attend events, etc., because he was a hero, but he was quite a shy man. And you can see from the photo in the book, or if we look him up online, he's a very modest man. Mm. You know, he's a fisherman. He didn't feel comfortable at events, so he never went. He didn't like the limelight. But then he found himself at the centre of controversy for being acknowledged over others who helped on the night. So he started to get a bit of animosity towards him, which is unfair. And I think that might have been why he left. So William moved to Rosebud and took on the role of a lighthouse keeper, later moving to Queenscliff. And he died on the 21st of December 1937. He was 57. He was out in a fishing boat with his son, Mansley, who was 15. And he had a heart attack. So Mansley got him back into shore and he died at Geelong Hospital. Boy, it's life and death in the boats and on the sea, isn't it? Yeah. That part of the world. It sure is. And William's bravery medal disappeared from Flagstaff Hill Maritime Village, which is a great disappointment. If you want to pay respects to William, you can find him at Queenscliff Cemetery, which is near Geelong, row 3A, grave 051A. What happened to young Jack? Do we know anything more about him? Yeah, Jack's an interesting one. We do know, but his body wasn't immediately found. It was found a week later. What was believed to be his body? Was there some reason that they couldn't identify him? The corpse was found, but it was headless. However, from the age and the clothing that they believed it was Jack. He was buried on the 23rd of November 1905 in Warrnambool Cemetery, and the survivors and residents came in attendance. And he had a little makeshift headstone at the time made of tin and 
It's interesting with Jack, there's no burial record for him at Warrnambool Cemetery, but there is under John Denholm and buried on the same day, so we suspect that's Jack. Although, I mean, it was called John Denholm in some newspaper articles as well, wasn't he? Yeah, that's exactly yeah, right. So. And, of course, Jack being a nickname for John. Yep. We don't know if his parents are still alive. It was a bit of a short and eventful life for Jack, but he was buried there, as was the custom of the day. You weren't taken back to where you came from. And I have to tell you, when we first looked for Jack, it was very tricky <laughs> because he was in an unmarked grave by that time. His other headstone had long since rusted. But thanks to Clive Rayner, who's the secretary of the Warrnambool Cemetery Trust, we found him, and not only did we find him, thanks to the readers of Grave Tales who bought the paperback book and to Markle and Swan Memorials, we were able to put a headstone on Jack's grave. Mm. So if you go to our website, you can see the photos and the videos. And the Warrnambool Mayor, Councillor Tony Herbert, unveiled it for us on the day. And some of William Ferrier's relations were there. Yeah, it was fantastic meeting them. Uh, Harry Ferrier was there. He's a, a Marlowe volunteer Coast Guard commander now, and he's the grandson of William the Hero. Yep. And he's a great storyteller and a seaman. They've all got this history of being on the water. It's in their veins. It's in their veins, yeah. yeah. And also Laurie Ferrier was there, the nephew of William, with his family and his children and his grandchildren. So Jack's grave may have been tricky to find once, but not anymore. No, and it's a beautiful grave, and really appreciate Mark on Swan matching us dollar for dollar in our readers. So Jack's got a home. Jack's back. You've been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series, available in paperback, ebook, and select titles on audiobook, music by Kai Engels. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on our website. Check out our YouTube channel as well, or put together your own group and come along on our Great Ocean Road Tour.